welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick. And Tim, that first podcast experience was, uh, it was fulfilling, it was exciting, got a lot of great feedback from people that not just love Michigan, but love Michigan basketball specifically. It, it's clear that the need that you were, you know, the gap, the absence that you were seeing out there, that there is a space for, for you to fill with this podcast because people seem to be really excited about it. Yeah, Sam, they were on fire. They 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 were they were raving about the the, the chemistry the way isn't it good? Yeah, man, good it's chemistry. cool. It's I, cool. I, I heard from Iggy and Duncan, uh, DJ Wilson, Glenn Robinson, guys in the NBA right now. Um, former players, Glenn Rice, who's going to be our guest today, uh, Richard Relford, Marty Bodner, Jordan Morgan, uh, Ward Manuel. Listen, that's kind of cool. How about this? Jay Billis really liked Jay it. Billis. Yeah, so. Jay Billis. See, you know, I got this thing about Dukies, but, uh, you know, once they retire, once they retire, I kind of soften a little bit. Like, you know, I was not a Christian Leitner fan, I was not a Christian Leitner fan at all, uh, but I respected his game, and I, you know, I told him that. Hey, I started to respect you a little bit more after you quit playing. And he shot back at me on Twitter. But my point is, you know, Dukies acknowledging something with Michigan because Leitner had some great things to say about Michigan. And for Jay Billis to be shouting out a Tim McCormick podcast says a lot about you. It says a lot about the pull to draw Michigan. How about this? I'm going to get Jay Billis on this podcast this year. Will will you allow that? (laughs) I will. Look, look, Jay, Jay. Jay Billis didn't scar my childhood like Christian Leitner did, so it'll it, it's a little bit different with with uh, with Jay. Hey, maybe you'll get Christian Leitner on this. I'm not way. doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Tim, we we covered a lot of ground in that first podcast, and 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 really, it was kind of laying the groundwork. Uh, you know, talking about your motivation for it. But one of the things that we're going to get into over the course of the year, the the actual games. And so, since our first podcast. Michigan's play, they played a game, and uh, you know they won. They That's actually, the main thing. They played half a game, <laughs> <laughs> and they won, which is amazing. So let's yes. start with they won, but I think we saw some things in that contest that you know we we saw, in my opinion, what the strengths of this team probably will be, what the weaknesses of this team probably will be. It's a good point. I, I loved the post emphasis. That's something we haven't seen, and and. During the, the U of D scrimmage and the Saginaw Valley exhibition game and then the App State game, first play in each of those games was a post entry and a bucket to John Teske. And he had 15 points at half, which was awesome. Built confidence, and he also built a lead. But the most important thing is, by him scoring inside, the perimeter guys, especially Eli Brooks and Isaiah Livers, they got wide open looks, and and to me, look, I I know you're not going to be offended by this because I I relate a lot of basketball to my love of football. If you establish that run, the physicality, the toughness, we're going at you. There's nothing any of you can do. It builds confidence and it opens up the passing game, the perimeter game. Same thing in basketball. If you post up strong. The defense has to start collapsing. They're worried about giving up layups. That's when you get the open shots. But things really changed at halftime, didn't they? They did, Tim. I, you, you mentioned post-emphasis, and it's something that, with Juwan being the coach, you, you, you knew to expect. But where it really crystallized for me, it was late in the first half, and Michigan, they were hitting shots all over the, 
all over the, the court, right? And App State goes zone. Mm-hmm. So you would think that Michigan being where they come from as an offense, that they would abandon the post. No. Teske, you know, he runs, he runs to the top, catches the ball in the high post, kicks it right back out. In the past, he never gets that ball back. But he runs weak side, reestablishes post position lower, gets the ball back. They take away his initial move, and instead of kicking it back out, he goes to a secondary move and scores. And I'm like, oh my, that is what, that's the Jawan Howard effect. And so you see that, Tim, and he's 6 for 10 in the first half. I think it was 15 points on 11 boards, and you come back in the second half, and he gets two shots. What? How do you explain that? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I love your, your point about Teske. And the, the place that Juwan Howard got the importance of reposting is from Shaquille O'Neal, the best in NBA history of posting up. He kicks it back out to the wing and reestablishes his post, and then he's unstoppable. Teske is going to get to that point, but he's not there yet. And, and there are a couple of really important benefits to having that post attack. First of all, we talked about the confidence, bigger, stronger, you know, give me the ball, there's nothing any, any of you can do. Your opponent's big guys get in foul trouble. Like when you're playing Caleb Wesson, you don't want to play against Caleb Wesson. You want him in foul trouble. So using shot fakes, good position, and, and just repetitions, that's a great way to establish that. Also, if you've got a post game, you're going to rebound better. It's going to help your ability to run and play in transition. Inside-out basketball opens up threes. And my favorite thing, the hidden key, is that nowadays everybody's playing one big guy, four perimeter guys. You're going to recruit really well when you've got big guys around the country saying, "Uh, do I want to go to a place where they play a power forward and a center or a center and four perimeter guys? You're going to recruit so much better by playing big. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder, and you can maybe speak to this, having seen them in practice and just seeing how teams uh, evolve. There, there's a there's a shift that is underway as far as their approach offensively. I'm not talking about the pace and the up and down. That's going to be an adjustment. But being an inside out team, that's a foreign concept for this for this group. So I wonder. And then I just want your opinion on this. I wonder if from the first half we had a lot of guys hitting a lot of shots on the perimeter. You get in the second half and and maybe hitting all those shots in the first half, in addition to the lead, kind of emboldens you to keep taking those shots. Even though you might have a hand in your face this time, you've, you've been knocking them down without keeping in mind what got you there. It was working inside out. That's how all those shots came. So I, I feel like this team is in the early stages of a mental adjustment that from start to finish we are an inside out basketball team. Yeah, they don't trust it yet. But I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out for you right now why it's important. When you're a little kid, you're playing basketball in the backyard. I used to I used to shoot in the backyard with my dad and my dad would stand under the basket and if I made it he'd throw it to me and if I missed it I had to track it down. But the key is Imagine throwing the ball from under the basket out to the perimeter. You catch the ball, you're squared up, your toes are pointing right at the rim, you shoot it and knock it down with great form. Well, that's the same thing when you're getting the ball kicked outside from a post guy. 
That's the way everybody learns how to shoot. If it's not your dad, it's a coach, it's a buddy. That's the way that you learn how to shoot the ball. Now, when Michigan in the second half was playing on the perimeter, it's a lot harder to square up to get your shot off quick when the pass is coming from the wing or is coming from the top. That's a huge issue for Michigan. I also think John Teske got tired in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I don't know. Yeah, it, it it'll be an interesting interesting uh, balance for for them with his minutes load. You know how you how you keep him fresh because I just think I think you know Michigan's bigs are their best matchups. I'm not sitting here telling people that John Teske's going to be you know the next coming the next Tim McCormick first round draft pick. You know, but I do think that when you look at their the, the talent on this team right now that. You know the guy that's going to be be able to get his own offense uh, most consistently in one on one situations is is John Teske. You know they're perimeter guys, uh, though. You got some guys that can shoot. You got some guys that can drive. But I just don't see a whole lot of got a whole lot of ability to create on the perimeter right now. They're going to see a ton of zone. U of D zoned them. Saginaw Valley zoned them, and so did App State and Sam. I had two flashbacks. Let me throw these back to you and see if you had the same. App State, September 1st, 2007, <laughs> on the football field uh, against uh, I, I I was really worried about one of those games uh, where everybody's calling their buddy saying, did you hear what happened to Michigan App State? So did you get that flashback? Uh, it's uh, sort of, kind of. You know, I, I just, something in me always thought that they were going to they're going to hold them off because the lead was so big. Think about that App State, App State game on the football side. Pretty, pretty was they, they nev- yeah, yeah, they yeah. never, they never got comfortable in that game. At least in this game, you were up thirty points, so you felt like uh, you know you were going to get this even with them coming back. But yeah, there were there were some glimpses for Shane. Right, I've got another one for you. This Michigan team against App State reminded me of Michigan football against Illinois in Champaign. Yeah, I remember let me that. walk through this. Big excitement, you go out, you overwhelm your opponent with talent to start the game, you build a big lead. If you relax versus an inferior opponent, it builds their confidence. You lose your momentum, and with the Gaddis offense, they're not completely set yet. It's still new to them. Turnovers happened, and the other team gets on a roll, and you just can't slow them down. I think it's a great point. Uh, you know, it's you know part of it is the the complacency that that allows you to to maybe clumsy. I don't know if that's the if the if it's the right word, but I'm just listening to what some of the players said. You know, you you you're trying passes that you wouldn't try mm-hmm. ordinarily. You you you're shooting shots that maybe you wouldn't shoot if you didn't have a big lead. And the next thing you know, the game is closer, and you got to find your rhythm again. Meanwhile, the other squad they're rolling. So it, it's that part I'm not as concerned about. I mean. You know, if you know Xavier Simpson, I know you do. That he's not gonna play like that. He's not gonna be turning the fo- the, the basketball over as much. What six turnovers in the game? That's just not him. That's an aberration. My bigger concern is, you know, their evolution into being a team that that features the post, that feeds the post. At one point in the second half, where Teske had some had a breather, and you put him back in the game, and you want to get it to him. I remember they were uh, at. App State was fronting the post. You got a seven-one-seven-two guy. Still should be a good target. Threw the ball over his head. So post entry still 
a work in progress for this team, too. That reminded me of Cassius Winston against Michigan State, Michigan last year, where they, they switched, and Cassius Winston shut down Teske by fronting him. That cannot happen. Here's another thing that jumped out at me, Sam. Second half, I thought, okay, who's the go-to guy? Great point. You know, And it's not just on the offensive end. Last year, when your opponent's on a 27-3 to run, Jordan Poole or Iggy Brozdakis would take over and get you a couple buckets, and then you're good. You can take a breath again. The other issue is James Forrest went off. That guy is a ball player. I liked him a lot. His dad was a ball player. Yes, yes, I remember it. And last year, Charles Matthews said, guys, I got this. I'm going to lock him up. He's done. And that guy has not emerged on this team yet. Well, a guy that emerged uh, in the late 80s at the University of Michigan, that was an unbelievable go-to guy. Uh, You know, one of the all-time great go-to guys. He would say that he is the best go-to guy, not just in the history of Flint, uh, in the history of Michigan basketball. You love the, the talk that you get from a guy like Glenn Rice. And this was one of the one of the players, one of the Michigan guys that you heard from uh, when we put the podcast up last week. The GOAT, the greatest of all time. And and I was shocked, and Glenn Rice said, hey, I love the podcast. Can I be a guest? <laughs> what am I going to say to that? Like, I'm thinking, yeah, right now, let's do it. And so that laid the groundwork for our second guest ever on the Michigan Basketball Podcast with Tim McCormick. Here's Tim. And the all-time great, the GOAT, Glenn Rice. All right, welcome to the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. And we are talking to the greatest of all time in Michigan basketball, Glenn Rice. Really glad to have you with us. And and so our fans, your fans, need a little update. What are you doing these days, Glenn? (laughs) I'm uh, actually living in Miami still, uh, getting hot because the sun is shining all the time, which is not a bad thing. But uh, I'm, I'm actually doing some scouting for the Miami Heat. How's that going? You like that? I love it. I mean, it, it keeps me close to the game that has done so many wonderful things for me. And, and also, I'm in a position now where I can uh, make some of these young fellas' uh, dreams uh, come true as far as being an uh, NBA player. Yeah, the, the most pleasant surprise in the NBA is Kendrick Nunn. Are you taking credit for him? He, he played at Oakland University here in Michigan last year. He did, and I, I wish I could take credit for that, but he uh, he got past me. But the fortunate thing is that he was able to uh, uh, be with the Miami Heat, which is a great thing. I mean, he's playing unbelievable, man. He's, he's a special talent. Yeah, well, Glenn, we um... – we're, we're so happy that you're here. And uh, Do you get a chance to follow the basketball program and the football program? Are you keeping your finger on the pulse of Michigan? I'm always keeping that finger on the pulse of Michigan. I mean, every, ten, every, every chance I get to watch, every ten, chance I get to brag, I'm doing exactly that. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible uh, the amount of uh, talent, especially on the football team. I mean, I've, you know, Hardball is doing a wonderful job. You know, hopefully they. Uh, I think they play Michigan State this weekend. Next week. Good God, am I Next week, yeah, yeah. Next weekend. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We need to beat them. Oh, and I, uh, now that you got my guy Juwan Howard, uh, the head coach, uh, I, I think some wonderful things are going to continue to happen. Uh, uh, not just for the football team, but for the basketball team as well. That's your guy. I know you have some stories. How, what, what can you share about your relationship? With Juwan Howard, where you started, how how well you know him. 
Oh, well, Juwan is like family. I, I, I know uh, right when I stepped on the scene as far as uh, being a scout for the Miami Heat, uh, Juwan was still a coach with the Heat. And he would tell me all kind of uh, stories about what I had to look forward to uh, as far as uh, critiquing players and, and whatnot. And, and the stories he would tell me about <laughs> those grueling video sessions as a assistant coach he would have. I mean, it was, it was funny. And uh, our, our kids know one another. So uh, as far as the, the whole family thing, I mean, it's, it's overall, it's, it's, it's been a great uh, opportunity to get to know Juwan. And he's, you know, he's fab five. He's done so much uh, for the University of Michigan. Uh, Change in error. I know that you guys have had this conversation before. Uh, national championship team versus Fab Five in their prime. Who wins that game? Did you ever have that conversation with Juwan? <laughs> you know what? I, I don't think we got deep into it, uh, but I always throw around that, you know, uh, as good as you guys were, and you were a great team for many years, you know we are the champions. <laughs> and, and I don't think he likes that knife that I'm sticking in his stomach. <laughs> uh, what, um, what, what does Juwan bring that, that's going to allow him to excel as a head coach? Well, you know, when you look at Juwan, I, I, I think uh, because he was here with the Miami Heat and he understands the uh, success uh, the Miami Heat has as far as making sure that everyone – realize that they're important. Everyone is a family. And uh, Juwan's a genuine guy. Juwan's going to pour his heart into the program, pour his heart into making sure that these kids understand what has to be done, not just to get to the next level as a basketball player, but as a person and in life. And uh, he's going to work 110% to make sure that uh, everyone understands that this is going to be done the right way. Yeah. Glenn Rice is with us, and uh, you know I want to go back to Flint real quick. Uh, I remember when I was a recruit, Bill Frieder was the most relentless guy I've ever met. Um, I had something in my mailbox every single day my junior and senior year, and I also remember a day I got a box and it was filled with letters from all of the the the, the residents at Michigan House and West Quad, and they all wrote a letter about why I had to go to Michigan. I know Bill Frieder's from Flint, so are you. There's got to be some great Bill Frieder stories about the recruiting process. <laughs> yeah, Bill Frieder was relentless. Uh, Bill, Bill came to my house one time, and we actually, we, we had, I think it was a Saturday, we had dinner that, that night, and, you know, my, my mom is a very religious person. And we were we started talking about church, and all of a sudden, Bill blurred out, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to church with you guys the next day. <laughs> and I'm like, Bill, you don't even know what you're getting into. <laughs> but, but we went to church. We had a fabulous time. And, and right then and there, my mom was like, you know what? That's where you need to go to school because for a man – to probably had no idea what he was about to get into as far as going to a church, a Baptist church. 
Because, you know, we spend hours in the church. <laughs> that, that man really wants you. <laughs> hey, Glenn, I, I got a chance to talk to your brother. I know Kevin real well. And Kev said uh-huh. that he, he for a while it really seemed like Central Michigan was going to be be the spot that you that you landed. Not some of the yeah. the other schools that that people might suspect. He said Central was in there strong. He mentioned uh, Iowa State, but what Iowa about State. what about those other schools that that came close? No, it was uh, Central Michigan. I mean, Dave Ginsburg was uh, one of the coaches at Central Michigan, and phenomenal guy. Uh, he recruited me from I, I want to say probably from tenth grade, and you, yeah, he was. Bill Freer was relentless in his short time he was recruiting me, but Dave Ginsburg was relentless from day one, from 10th grade. Iowa State, they they jumped on board probably when I was in 11th grade, and uh, they, they did a pretty good job too. But outside of that, no one. Even Michigan State, I mean, it was a school that I had some interest in because uh, they were recruiting uh, Andre Risen very hard, and I've seen them quite often. But – uh. Judd, he coach, uh, God bless his soul. I just didn't think that uh, it was going to be a good fit with me and him. Now, you're a Michigan man. You ended up where you were predestined to. Hey, Glenn, I, w- I want to share a memory. Um, it was August of 85, and you were getting ready to start your freshman year, and I um, I was going out to start my second year in Seattle, and there was an open gym. And and it was not only 85, it was 86, it was a bunch of years there. We had an open gym with Loy and T. Mills and Mark Hughes and Sean Higgins. And and I was shocked at how hard you guys played and how good you were. And it wasn't surprising you all became NBA players. And I thought, this is way harder than training camp's going to be. <laughs> what do you remember about those those open gyms before you even started your career? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, when, when we went and played in open gyms, we made sure we, we went all out because we felt that that was the only time that uh, we could have a, a, a scrimmage game like that not be restricted by coaches of running the plays they wanted us to. Uh, we, could, we could basically display our whole display of arsenal we had in these games. And we love competing against one another. And, and whoever – it was funny – because whoever was in the gym, if they played on our team, regardless if they had basketball experience or not, we enjoyed letting people play. But, yeah, it brought them up to a level where they thought, man, maybe I should be a walk-on. Because the, the intensity just rubbed off on where it was involved. And, yeah, you could tell right away that uh, the guys that were involved, the ones that uh, participated in open gym whenever we did it, I uh, wanted to be great, and, and that was the start of how to uh, proceed in that direction. Yeah, and add Ramil Robinson to that list. So let, let's go to 1989. A lot happened, national championship, Freeder to Arizona State, Bo's decision, Fisher's the head coach. What memories do you have of that season? Yeah, that was a, <laughs> a remarkable season. Interesting, too, at that. Um uh, you know, Bill Freeland got offered a job at the time with uh, Arizona State, and uh, he had to take it. Uh, he, he he had a conversation with myself and uh, a couple other guys, and we we as players we understood we we're on the same page as Bill. Although we would have loved if he had the opportunity to coach us, but that wasn't the case because uh, Bo Schembechler was not having that. Uh, we realized that 
me, especially being a senior that, you know, with the absence of a head coach, uh, I had to step up my game. And being that Fisher was going to be the new guy, it was almost like we didn't lose anything because he was he was like a second Bill Freeder. So uh, you know, it was it was a great run for us. We we used not only the uh, Bo Schembechler inspirational speech, but we used all of that uh, because Bill Freeder couldn't coach. Uh, people would think that we had no chance. Uh, we used that to get us over the hump and. And we and we band together. We band together really throughout the whole season because we really enjoyed one another. We we thought we knew we were brothers, and we wanted to go out and fight for one another, not against. And and it just worked out. We all were on the same page. Yeah. What did Bo say? Man, Bo was like, I mean, Bo. <laughs> Couple of guys probably wish Bo wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Sorry, uh, especially Sean <laughs> uh, At that time, Sean was talking about you know, transferring, and and Bo just let him know right away. Hey, son, you know you keep talking that transferring stuff. I'll give you your papers right now, and you can go. And when I looked at Sean's face, it was like it was like a kid that had just basically stolen his parents' car and got caught. <laughs> But uh, he, he he told us, look, you know what? We we can do this. We're we're representing Michigan. We're representing ourselves, and everybody's gonna look at that, look at us, and say we. There's no way we can pull this off. Yeah. Use that as motivation. And so yeah, I mean, he, we wanted to do it not just for ourselves in Michigan, but really for Bill Frieda and for both Shim Beckler because you know we all were uh, one. It must feel pretty nice every day when you get up to be the top scorer in the history of the NCAA tournament. Was that the best stretch of basketball you ever played? College? At any time. I mean, you're a three-time NBA All-Star, so you had some good stretches, but it just seemed like every shot you took was going in. I, 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 I got you. Know, that's a tough question because uh, my my – 1997 year with the Charlotte Hornets was uh, probably one of the best runs I've had on a long uh, period of time. But uh, in college, Michigan, I, I would have to say I would give Michigan a nod because for that six-game period, it was almost like I was unstoppable. It was like we were unstoppable. And to go on to win a national championship and uh, do it in the manner that we did as a team. But since we're talking about Glenn, uh, as an individual player, something like that hadn't been done before since 1967. And I, I tell people I was born, because I was born in 1967, I was born to break the record that was set <laughs> by, I believe it was Bill Bradley. So, yeah. I, mean, that, I would have to say that was the greatest run, yeah. Yeah, good stuff, Glenn. Hey, do, do you have a, a favorite memory of being a student at Michigan, a favorite class, a place that you like to eat. What What is your best memory about being a student at Michigan? Well, I listen, I tell everybody this story about when I had a uh, kinesiology class that would start at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I I, <laughs> I, I I shouldn't say this, but it was like it was, it was a good class, but I don't think it was a class for me at the time because <laughs> at 8 o'clock in the morning, it did not register to me 
to know all the the ligaments and bones <laughs> on a on a human body. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I quickly got out of that class, and I you know till this day, I, that's the story that as a student I remember the most. I, I remember my first day of school, I walked into a Spanish class, and the teacher wasn't even speaking English, and I stood up, and I went right down, and I dropped that class. That, that was the, basically the first thing I did as a freshman at Michigan. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I probably would have did the same thing. No, that was a, that was a good call. Uh, so you, you went on and had such a, a successful NBA career. Um, can, can you share with us some 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 facts? Like, what what was your career high? Fast, fast quick numbers. Uh, my career high was uh, fifty six points uh, with the Miami Heat uh, in uh, nineteen. I want to say ninety five, ninety six season. Huh. Fifty six. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was good. It was, I, it was a good run. I'm NBA uh, three point champion. Uh, ninety seven. I was able to go out and. Uh, uh, be the MVP of the uh, All-Star Game uh, set uh, records of the most points scored in the quarter, three-time All-Star, NBA champion with the Lakers. Uh, and, I mean, I had a great career. I mean, for my, you know, standard and my satisfaction, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, because of the NBA, I got a lot of great things to do. had a chance to do a lot of great things in, in my life. So, you know, it's I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it any other way. Yeah, who was on that Laker team? T- take us through how that experience went. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was myself, uh, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, those were the headliners. Uh, we had uh, uh, Phil Jackson, who outstanding coach, uh, Ron Harper, Brian Shaw, Rick Fox. We had a great team, and and, and we all had fun playing, and and we ran at that time was the great triangle offense, which uh, gives you uh, so many options. And, and, and it, I mean, how can you really lose when you got Kobe and Shaq on your team? <laughs> and, and Glenn Rice. Uh, toughest matchup, toughest guy for you to check. Who's the guy that, that just had you laying in bed the night before the game thinking about, oh, boy, here it comes? Oh, man, come on. At, at that particular time in the NBA, the late 80s and 90s, Everybody probably had the same nightmare I had, and that was uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> that was no, no, no. You you couldn't sleep. You were just thinking like, okay, look, I know I can't stop him. I got to figure out a way how I can just slow him down. And in the process, one of the things you have to really do is that you have to understand. Okay, you got to throw some stuff back at him in order to slow him down a little bit. But you never gonna. You couldn't stop him. Yes. But it was it was. There's one of them times where you just sit back and like, God, man, I can't wait for this game to be over. So, so you want you want to make him work on defense, but you're one on one with him on the wing. What are you taking away? What are you, are you looking in his eyes? What do you see? What what is what is that process like? And I'm on defense. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm like George. Just shoot the ball. I don't want you going around me sticking your tongue out, dunking on me or anything like that. I'm gonna make him shoot. But then. Quickly, I always tell people, my better defense is my offense. Because once you shoot, make or miss, you can best believe I'm trying to do everything in my power to come back at you at the other end. <laughs> you know, let's let's take it back. I'm a Flint guy. I'm a, a Flint Central guy, as a matter of fact. Uh-oh. And so, yeah, yeah, got to go back. So I, I want to go back to that time because I asked Kevin this question. 
uh, whether it was someone you played with or against, the, the guy that you look at during your time in Flint, that, that's the, outside of Glenn Rice, the best player you saw, either you played with them or against them from your time back in Flint? Um, I would, you know, I, I would have to say Anthony Pellington. Huh. Here's a guy that at that time was got like six six, uh, could play the one two or the three position. I mean, had some serious ball handling skill. Could shoot. I mean, he was unreal. He was unreal, and and he was on our team. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. I I seen it every day in practice, and I was just marveled at the things he could do. At, at especially a guy that was six six. It was incredible. Who's the and best? He's one of the large reasons why we won back to back state championship and why we use a clown at Flint Central. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, those Flint Central teams had some, had some nice times back in the day, too. Uh, definitely, yeah. definitely a golden era back then. Yes, it was. It was. You, you, uh, you obviously are a terrific shooter. Are you the best shooter to ever come out of Flint, or is it Trent Tucker? Did you really have to ask me that question? <laughs> and you probably would, you know, be a little against me because you went to Flint Central. But here's what I say. Because Trent, Trent Tucker paved the way for us. He really did as basketball players, as shooters, and uh, as a great players at, at Northwestern. But I have told Trent this as well. I will tear him up. And yes, and saying that, Absolutely, I'm the best shooter to ever come out of Flint. <laughs> and, and Michigan. The state. I'm talking about Michigan. I'm not just stopping at Flint. Right. Right. I hear you. Probably we, one of the better shooters in the, that's played in the NBA. No uh, as we're talking. Don't give me that credit yet, but they better not sleep on me. As we talk about Flint, E.T., Eric Turner, people oh, don't realize how good he was. And you you were at that age when you were probably idolizing him at Flint Central. Yes. I, yes. I, you know, even though he went to Flint Central, yes, I, I recognize talent. I recognize greatness when I seen it. And Eric Turner was a household name back in the days in Flint. And, you, and, and I was so glad that I was getting the opportunity to go to Michigan where he had laid groundwork down for me. Yes, absolutely. that's great stuff. I will never forget my favorite game I was ever involved. Clarkston was number one in the state. Flint Central mm-hmm. was number two, and we played in the the district no the regional finals at Flint mm-hmm. Central. The game went back and forth the whole way. People were scalping tickets for a thousand dollars out in the parking yep. lot. And Clarkston won by one point. You, you know that's the only reason I'm going to bring that story up, right? <laughs> Man, that people have no idea. You had to be there to enjoy how the games were played back then, and also how the the rivalries were built, built, and how they just packed it in the gyms back then. I mean, it was it was incredible. And I wasn't at that game. But I've heard so much about that, and it was it was one of the best games that it was definitely the best game that year in, in the city of uh, Flint. Yeah, I could keep telling you about it, but I, I, <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear a little bit more about Glenn Rice's plans for the future. What are you, what are you looking to do? Um, you know, I, I always try and just take it uh, day at a time. Uh, you know, 
keep doing my my work here with the Miami Heat as far as scouting. And who knows? I mean, hopefully, hopefully down the road, I, I get an opportunity uh, to uh, dip and dab a little bit in coaching. Uh, but as far as that, I want to continue to try and be my best uh, father to my kids as possible and, and, and just, you know, be a good person and enjoy life. Glenn, there's a question I've always wanted to ask you, and it's, uh, it's one that I've thrown at several guys from the 89 team, uh, Terry especially, and this is probably something that plays in with you to this day, especially if you get into coaching, how a team can can click and grow and, and, and finally get over the hump. You guys did that in 89. You talk about losing to Illinois and turning the corner uh, in the tournament. But the thing that I'm always struck by is I hear I hear guys from that team say, this wasn't even our best team. That the 89 team that won it, we were on a better team before that. I'm curious if you agree with that. Were you on better teams or a better team in college than the 89 team uh, that won it? And, and what what was the reason why you guys are finally able to put it all together uh, and win it your last year? Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't see myself being on a better team than that. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. What party they was at and what they were thinking <laughs> when they said that? Yeah, <laughs> well, clearly I didn't. I, I, didn't I think Terry talked about the, the Gary Grant team before uh, that. No, I, I, we were good, but I don't think we had. I don't. I don't think they had what we had. I mean, we had guys that were six nine, six ten, that was doing incredible things. I mean, look at Terry Mills. This is a guy that's almost seven feet who could. Low post, handle the ball, shoot three pointers, can make moves off the dribble. Lloyd Vaught, who was probably one of the most dominant big men in the game, good, great mid range, great rebounder. Sean Higgins again, somebody got six nine, play like a guard. Ramil Robinson, one of the strongest point guards in the league, incredible jumping ability. Uh, I mean, and then we have our role players, Mike Griffin. I'm telling you. And a lot of people don't recognize this enough. They talk about Glenn Rice all the time, but if it, if it was for not his aggressiveness on defense, his leadership, uh, we probably wouldn't have done it. Because Mike Griffin was another bottle of glue on our team. So that was the best team ever. And that we we don't I'm not even gonna talk about that dude, Glenn Rice. I mean he was <laughs> <laughs> Well Glenn Rice was on both teams, so yeah. there you go. So so Glenn, state champ at Flint Northwestern, national champ at Michigan, NBA champ. Wait with, a minute, hold on, hold on. There's more? You said state champ. Yeah, two times. Oh, my my bad. My bad. It's two times state champ. That's right. <laughs> Don't want to disrespect you. You can tell this dude. Yeah, yeah. No, so, hey, Glenn, it's been a privilege to have the greatest player in Michigan basketball history as our guest today on the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. Can't thank you enough and can't wait to see you back in Ann Arbor. Man, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. And, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And uh, go blue, baby. Go blue. All right, Glenn. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you. You got it. And we are back on the Michigan Basketball Podcast with Tim McCormick. So, Tim, uh, you know, a great conversation you just had there with with Glenn Rice. And I was able to get a few Flint questions in. So, as a Flint guy and a Michigan guy, that that really meant a lot. But, again, hearing you go back and forth with a a fellow guy in blue was, was great. 
I was excited to talk to him because, really, I've, I've followed Michigan basketball for a long time. Campy and Cassy and Rudy, Phil Hubbard, you know, Ricky Green, the Fab Five. Glenn Rice is my favorite player ever. I think he's the best shooter in program history. And just the time that I've gotten to know him, really a good guy, class act, represents the university, a plus. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great. It was great to hear him. He was a go-to guy for sure. Uh, one of the all-time great go-to guys. Uh, you know, if even if Michigan finds a go-to guy this year, Jim, uh, Tim, it won't be of the Glenn Rice variety. But they are in search of of someone of something they can lean on offensively. Gonna be in work in progress, uh, as we could see in the App State game. And you got Creighton coming up. What can you tell us about Creighton? I really like their coach, Greg McDermott. You may remember him at Northern Iowa, Iowa State. He had a really good son named Doug McDermott who scored over 3,000 college points. He's doing a good job with his NBA career. I like this matchup for Michigan a lot. Creighton is middle of the pack, Big East. Uh, they shoot the three in their first game against Kennesaw State. Made 12-3, so it's a, it's a good perimeter team. Not much inside. They've had some injuries. But the thing that I really like is Michigan's going to be very focused because of that second-half collapse against App State. Why is that important? Xavier Simpson's a bulldog. Like He's been laying in bed at night thinking, I can't wait to get back out there. Uh, two for eight from the field with six assists is not acceptable. So I think he is going to play like his pants are on fire. Uh, I expect great things for him. Also, Teske has to feel like, I had 15 points and a half, and I stopped playing. They stopped giving me the ball. I think that he's going to have to to emerge as maybe their number one go-to guy when they need a bucket. I think he's going to play really well. And I was very encouraged by Eli Brooks. He played a full game. He didn't take any time off. He shot with great confidence. Even in the exhibition game, he was very aggressive. He made all of his free throws. He attacked the glass. I think Michigan is is going to play really well. Home game, big crowd. And remember, Creighton was in the Sweet 16 last year. This is the type of resume builder that when you get into March Madness, you want the selection committee saying, oh, yeah, well, they, they knocked off Creighton early in the year. Big opportunity. So in the final segment of the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick, we get into a segment we call In the Paint. That's where questions come from uh, listeners, whether it's uh, Twitter or the MichiganInsider.com or people that you see. And then we also go back and forth, uh, Tim, and I throw some questions at you. So I got one that I want to throw at you off the off the rip, and you mentioned John Teske. So seven-footer, a guy who's going to be more of a feature guy, and you mentioned you felt like in the second half that he uh, maybe was a little tired. And so I, I'm curious, what, what do you think is a reasonable minutes load for him, a reasonable expectation for how many minutes per game uh, he they can count on him to play this year, and that's just uh, that's obvious. Obviously, has a lot to do with Teske, but you know, just as a big guy, you have an idea of what's a reasonable expectation. So I believe that Teske and Xavier Simpson, who play the most important positions on the court, that's point guard and center. I believe both of them need to play 35 minutes per game. And if you play them 35, they're going to get in better shape. Their body is going to build that callus. It's going to be stronger, and they're going to get used to the large workload. 
They're the two most accomplished players. They've got to be the go-to guys. They've got to be out there. And I was disappointed at Xavier Simpson's second foul against Appalachian State. He's got to learn if he gets two fouls, just like John Beeline, Jawan Howard is going to sit him, and he's going to have to sit there and stew the whole rest of the first half. He's got to be a lot smarter and pick his spots. Both of those players need to go the first six minutes of the game with no fouls. Then then you can get more aggressive. They're going to call a bad one on you. If you have a dumb one and a bad one, then you're sitting. Right. That, can't, that can't be. Right, absolutely. And so another thing that, that struck me, and I'm curious what you thought. I really liked when when uh, John Teske and Colin Castleton were on the court together. I thought that the mix there... Uh, you know, the, the complementary aspects of their games. You know, you, Colin is a guy who's comfortable playing in the high post. You can see that in high school. Still needs to get a little stronger. But as you look at, at ways in which this team is going to manufacture points, there are times where he cleaned up a little for, for John, and there are times that John cleaned up a little for him. Feel like you get some chemistry passing uh, to and from one another. That just seems like it might be an ideal scenario for Michigan down the line, what are your thoughts on playing those two guys together? And then I, was, I know an obviously obvious downfall to that would be that he's probably your backup center on paper. So think about this. Just because the trend in college basketball is to go with one big guy and a bunch of perimeter shooters, you don't have to play that way. It's not a rule that you have to go small. I learned the game playing with myself at center and Roy Tarpley at 6'11 as the power forward. And when we went to the bench, you brought in Robert Henderson, Mr. Basketball out of Lansing Eastern at 6'9, and Butch Wade. Richard Relford was our, our, our small forward at 6'6 or 6'7 and so athletic. Think about Juwan. You know, he and Chris Weber, how good is that? We talked to Glenn Rice. The size was massive there. Mark Hughes. Loy Vaught, I never wanted to play against Loy Vaught because he was stronger and quicker and very smart. Their whole lineup, Terry Mills. I mean, the, Glenn Rice is 6'9", and he's a small forward. So why can't Michigan make other teams adjust? You didn't mention Brandon Johns. Mm-hmm. I love Brandon Johns and Teske. I think they're athletic enough to cover smaller lineups. Make them pay for being small. Yeah, I wonder, and, and so I like – your point about Eli Brooks. You can see Eli Brooks is a more comfortable player. There's no doubt about that. Knock down his open shots. He's going to be a capable defender. Uh, you know, he's another guy to take some pressure off of X and bringing the ball up the court. I just feel like long term, and we haven't seen him yet, but I think Franz Wagner uh, and some of the things that we're talking about, ability to get his own shot, uh, that might not be blown by someone. That might be scoring over people, uh, you know, shooting over people from the perimeter. I just think that he brings, he brings more versatility to the equation. So if you, if you want to get him in your starting lineup and you got to start Isaiah Livers and you're talking about playing these two bigs, I, that to me is, is going to be the ideal lineup. Now, I'm no coach. I don't have any inside uh, info on this particular aspect of Michigan basketball. I'm just projecting right now. And I think Franz Wagner as your two is a real is gonna be a real thing for this team because I think he's gonna bring the most versatility to the position. I loved your tweet. 
your favorite Michigan lineup. <laughs> Share it with our listeners because I thought it was pretty darn yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, my favorite, my favorite Michigan lineup down the line when Franz gets back. X at, X at the one, Franz Wagner at the two, Isaiah Livers at the three, and then go, go with Colin and, and, uh, and Teske at the four and the five. You could easily swap out, if you wanted to swap out Colin for, for Brandon Johns, I'd be fine with that too. I just think Franz at the two is a thing. You, you, need, you need more bucket getters. And this is a team devoid of, of much creating, much ability to create either for themselves or for others. And I think Franz could fill a little bit of that gap even in his freshman year. I'm going to tell you right now, that's the biggest lineup in the nation, right? I, you could also, you, that could be the biggest in the NBA. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, 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 you, if you look at Wagner and his length at 6'9", Isaiah Livers can play the 3-4 he could probably play five. He can cover every position, and then you're going jumbo on your front line. I think a lot of teams would have a hard time matching up with that, and I don't I don't think that Juwan is a zone guy, but can you imagine the length and the coverage if you ever went to a 2-3 zone at a key point? So Yeah, and, and you know, Tim, look, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that lineup doesn't have doesn't have its weak spots i mean you know you might have some issues with quickness yeah. right you might have some issues with 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 ball handling a lot more stress on on x in that regard but i i think it's one of these one of these situations with this team you aren't selecting from ideal circumstances this is a team that that has some deficiencies that you have to mask how do you cover the 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 most of them mm-hmm. and to me that would be the way. So let me add this. If you take Xavier out and put Eli Brooks in, not only do you have the biggest lineup, you've got a really good shooting lineup, too. I, I think that Eli Brooks, his versatility is going to be a, a big advantage for this team. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're my big guy. You're my big guy. And I defer to my big guy. But I just I think that you're, you're right in that his ability to be a compliment Mm-hmm. to X is going to be a really big deal for this team. If he can play with the confidence that we saw him play with in game one, where if you need to take X out, he's in the funk. You can bring a guy like Eli off the bench, and he can he can still run the team. He can hit open shots. He can make free throw shots. But just the, the heart, the soul, the mentality of this team that X brings. End of the year, there are four or five possible answers. Who is Michigan's leading scorer? Wow. Oh. End of year. So this doesn't necessarily mean who's averaging the most at that time, right? Yeah, it does. Who who oh, averages well. the most points this year? <sighs> because right now, Michigan doesn't return anybody that averaged double I mean, figures. I, I think you know your best bet is John Teske. Uh, you made this point earlier. You think he's best positioned to be their go-to guy. I think the same thing. I think it's going to be a matter of them uh, adjusting to what they are now mentally. I, you know, I think they're – Part of them is still caught in what they were. You are a an inside-out team now. The only reason why I hedged a little bit, uh, you know, people might say pump the brakes on on talking about the the freshman. I think Franz Wagner is really good, man. He's a pro. I, I think Fra- pro. I think Franz Wagner is really good, and he's in a situation where he's going to get a lot more rope on this team than he would say if he had been on last year's squad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to have to you're going to have to let him you know, make some mistakes and grow through them on this team because, you know, he brings you the, you know, the, the upside that you need 
on this squad to get to where you want to be. Another name that may be on that list as the top scorer is going to be there because of his defense. Isaiah Livers is going to be on the court a lot. He can play every position. He's a stopper. He's yep. their best defender. So you know he's going to play a lot of minutes every game. I think he's a pure scorer. If they get that transition game, he, he brings a lot. Yeah, you know, one of the things, and, and I want you to speak to this, as a guy, I mean, you weren't a, you were far from a selfish player. And so you, you see guys on the, on the court, you know, some coaches say it's, it's harder. Some say it's harder to get a guy who isn't aggressive to be aggressive than it is to lower the aggression on the guy who's always trying to get his, you know, Isaiah livers is a, is a guy who is his, his, his mentality seems to be deferential. Mm-hmm. You want him. You want him to hunt more shots. You need to take more shots on on this team. You know where is he in that in that mental transformation? Yeah, I, I, I like your point. I, hey, before we close it up, can I can I share one other thing that really bothered me about the Appalachian State game? All right, you're up thirty points. As one of the starters or one of the veterans, you have an obligation to your bench guys, to your walk-ons, to your freshmen, to close that thing out. And it really made me upset because of the fact that, you know, C.J. Baird and Jaron Faltz and, and Cole Badgham, I mean, Cole's family's all well, well waiting at home watching the game. They just ordered the Big Ten Network. They want to watch their son play. And because the starters relaxed, and they lost their momentum. They took all of those guys and their opportunity to play and said, I'm going to be out here on the court. And I, I had a problem with that. Yeah, and I'm sure their coach did too. Yeah. <laughs> I know that was something they talked about uh, in practice all week and all the practices uh, after the game. Another great podcast in the books. We already know who guest number three is going to be for episode three. A conversation with DJ Wilson, another of John Beeline's first-round draft picks. I love DJ Wilson playing with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that is impressive. Yes, <laughs> yes. I yes. cannot say his last name. No, I've, he I've is Giannis on. the freak. He, and one of <laughs> He's the, the thing, Greek freak. One of the things that DJ talked about, he broke his back and spent four or five months in a cast from his hip up to his shoulder when he was in high school. So what a huge success story and a good guy. And he had some fascinating insight into his career. Outstanding stuff. Well, Tim, uh, thanks a lot again. It was fun. Until next week. Sounds good, Sam. Good job. Thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.